Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there. This is the, uh, well, I, I call myself the Converted Mets fan on my other podcast, but sometimes I get crossed up here. This is the Converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Uh, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners, in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, what a fantastic uh, research day we have uh, ahead of us. Uh, we we have a, a Brooklyn Dodger in 56-57, and that is Ransom Randy Jackson on the line today, uh, as well as uh, Rich Elliott, who authored uh, Clem Levine, uh, The uh, Always a Dodger. And uh, but first, I'd like to introduce uh, Ransom Randy Jackson to the program. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I, uh, I don't get to go on uh, on uh, radio too often. Well, so well I'll, glad, I'll, glad I'll that stay it, as long as you want. Well, absolutely, we'll have you as long as we uh, we can, uh, as long as the air allows us, uh, as they say. <laughs> and uh, w- w- without further ado, uh, Rick Elliott, you are you are not uh, a, a stranger to this podcast uh, by uh, by any means of the imagination. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and and uh, having gotten in touch with uh, Mr. Jackson. Well, thanks, Sam. Thanks for providing this forum for us. Um, and thank you for joining us, Ransom. Uh, I'll just say quickly, Ransom, that um, my, my involvement with my Brooklyn Dodger love affair started because my dad's best friend, which I think I mentioned to you the other night, Ransom, my dad's best friend their uh-huh. entire lives was, was Clem Levine, your teammate with the Dodgers. Yeah. And Clem uh-huh. not only was a Woonsocket, Rhode Island kid, but he was starting in high school in the summers, worked with my dad at my dad's company, um, stayed with us off-seasons through baseball, and came back full-time with us as general manager of our sportswear division after baseball, after the Mets, and he parted ways in 1962. So while I'm working on this next book project with the help of Brent Shire and Peter O'Malley, Brent Shire kindly suggested to me that um, he said you have the right attitude and and uh, the the experience that you'd be the man we wanted to talk to in, in this project so i want to start by saying to to this to you ransom i when i look when i read your book again and uh and i look at my baseball cards and i have my memories of clem and the dodges i had this question the other night in my own mind ransom when you think of yourself uh and you don't prepare yourself, and you conjure up an image of, of Ransom Jackson, boom, quickly. Do you see yourself as a Chicago Cub, or do you see yourself as a Brooklyn Dodger? Or do you see yourself sort of across all those teams, uh, both those teams? Well, I guess it would be across. How do you view because, yourself? Uh, you know, I played uh, almost six years with the Cubs, and, right. uh, and then certainly enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing there because it was day, day baseball. Uh, and I seemed to do better in the daytime. And, of course, we didn't draw that many fans. I think if we drew uh, six or 700,000 over the course of a year, that was a good year. But uh, right. the, the, I think the fans in the ballpark uh, made it a, you know, a, a special place for me to play. And so right. I, I have a lasting memory of all, all those guys and, and, you know, the things that happened there. Uh, but uh, getting traded to the Dodgers uh, was uh, one of those things that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing because I think uh, all all sports guys, if they if they were, or 
truthful, would want to do things like play in a World Series or play in, a, in, a, in, in some kind of a Super Bowl or whatever. And, and my ambition, I didn't have that many ambitions, to be honest. I was just going along having a lot of fun. And uh, but I, I I did know that I I, I wanted to play. I, I played in a couple of All Star games, which uh, uh, which was good. But I, I really right. thought a World Series would be just top it off. And I knew staying with the Cubs at that time, and it's probably it's different today. But at that time, sure. uh, you know, we just we were always in fifth or sixth place out of eight. So uh, that was kind sure. of, out of the question. But, but to get traded you know, to the Dodgers, uh, who had just who had just won uh, the World Series uh, against the Yankees, I mean this that was really something. So that was uh, that's uh, was a special special thing to me. Right, and you know I read in your book, Ransom, the great expression you and your co-author had. I think it was Mr. White, and when you said that uh, your comment was that being traded to the Dodgers in in, in December um, was one of the best Christmas gifts you ever got. And uh, oh, as you explain yeah. it again, I can see that. Yeah. Well, you know, a, and, a sports writer friend of mine called me and said, uh, I, had, I spent the winter in Chicago for the first time, which was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> the weather was horrible. Still a mistake. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I answered the phone, and it was a, this sports writer. And he said, "Guess what?" I said, "What?" He said, "You've been traded." I said, "I've been there, you know, five and a half years." I said, I, "You know, I thought I was, you know, I was it on a stick in in Chicago." And uh, he said, "No, you've been traded." I said, "Here, you are teasing." I said, "Well, to who?" He said, "Well, guess." I said, "Don't play games with me." <laughs> he said, "No guess." And so I started out low. I said, "Pittsburgh." Cincinnati, and he said, no, you've been traded to the Dodgers. And I said, you are full of it, because the Dodgers <laughs> had just I said, just had just won the World Series the year before, and I, you know, when you, I felt that when you went into Ebbets Field to play the Dodgers, that you were always, you were one run behind before the game even started, because of all the guys they had compared compared to us. So, right. uh, what a thrill it was to, to get traded. So, it was one of the special things in my life. So and outside yet, of the you... World Series elements... Oh, sorry, Rick, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Sam, please. No, I was just going to ask, um, your your view of Brooklyn, uh, it, you know, the, just the, the, the community in general, uh, before you got traded to the Dodgers and then after uh, spending the two years in Brooklyn? Now, say that one more time. I was wondering what what was your your uh, view and opinion of the the uh, I like to call it the former city of Brooklyn because uh, it used to be one. But what was your view of the community of Brooklyn uh, well, before uh, when you were with the Cubs and then after when you got traded? Oh well, well I love to go to Brooklyn mainly because I hit well there. It goes to a small <laughs> ballpark, the smallest in the league. But it's just for some reason, even when when Brooklyn came to uh, when the Dodgers came to to Wrigley Field to play. Uh, I usually hit pretty good against the pitching, uh, so uh, that was one of the teams that I uh, enjoyed playing against because uh, I, I always, for some reason, did did well. So uh, I was I was happy to go to to uh, to uh, Ebbets Field. Hmm. Let me uh, let me ask. Was, me... was there? Sorry, Rick. Go ahead, please. No, I was going to just say this quickly to the Sam. Um, 
great ball players in Chicago also ran some, didn't you? I mean, you were with Ernie oh, yeah. Bank, for goodness sake, and uh, Ernie Banks. And, and uh, you had a great second baseman there, as I remember. Was it Mr. Baker? Dean Baker. Baker, I think. Yeah. So you were part of, an, of, an, of a very um, highly respected and smooth infield there, too, weren't you, Randy? Well, uh, you know, as I told everybody, when Ernie Banks came up, I, I came up in 1950, and Ernie came up in 53, or I think 53. And, uh, of course, I could see right away what kind of a ball player he was. And so I called him over one day. He was playing shortstop, but I was playing third. I said, Ernie, I've been here quite a few years, so I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of ahead of you. Uh, so I want you to listen to me. That here's the way it's going to work. Uh, I'm going to play right on the line, uh, and uh, you take everything else. And uh, so uh, he uh, he knew I was teasing. But I, he just about did because he he uh, uh, he covered a lot of ground. Great guy, wonderful. I saw him a couple of years ago when I went up to Chicago to uh, throw out the first pitch in a game, and uh, we spent uh, I guess half an hour together. Uh, what, what a great guy! And uh, you know, I hate hate to hate to lose him. I, I've lost some. You know, there's 95 percent of the guys I play with now are no longer around. Sure, and uh, it, time will do uh, that to all of us, won't it, Randy? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, will. it will. So I guess I'm lucky. I just turned 91 the other day. So, oh, wonderful! Uh, Happy birthday, ever, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank That's you. wonderful. Randy, uh, Sam, I'd like to ask Randy this while my because I I uh, I get a little forgetful when I'm talking Dodgers. I I get very excited, <laughs> but I, before I forget, I wanted to <laughs> ask this, Randy. You you made a comment in your book which caught me. Um, you loved the, uh, some of those African-American players that you were with, Ernie Banks, people of color, men of color, finally got themselves um, uh, rooted properly in Chicago. But you made a comment, which I thought was very, very honest, um, Ransom. You said that you had respect for where the Cubs were heading, but in a way, when you were very honest with yourself, you thought the Cubs did a little bit too little and that they did it too late. Were you referring to their recruitment of uh, black ball players? I was recalling to recruitment, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, uh, you know, if for instance, if the Yankees back then had to get rid of a guy they didn't want, uh, they'd pick up the phone and phone the Cubs, or the Cubs would take them sight unseen. Uh, they yep. just did not make good trades. Uh, they just... Uh, uh, what they well, of course, they made a great trade for me. They got they got three guys for me. Yep. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but, and we got uh, and, and to to uh, list that off. Yeah. Uh, you went over to the Dodgers with Don Elston for John Hoke, Russ Meyer, and Walt Morin. Yeah, I think Elston came a little bit later, but that's but that's 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 what it was. But uh, the uh, the Cubs just historically just did not make good good. Uh, Good moves, you know. They've done they've done some weird things up there. Uh, you know, one year, what is it? They had a different manager every month. You know, that's 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 really thrilling. Uh, yeah, that's so, uh, the team. Yeah, but that's what I meant. I meant that uh, uh, as a whole, that they just never, uh, not I would say never, but they very 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 seldom made a good trade. They just they would pick up. Uh, somebody cheap, 
and hope and pray and and get out on their knees and that uh, that that this particular trade that they got cheap it would work out. But uh, sounds sounds like my Mets team. (laughs) But most (laughs) of them wouldn't work out. So that was that was my reaction uh, to the Cubs. So uh, this uh, past October was that uh, real special for you seeing them win the World Series? Oh yeah, yeah, they deserved it. Uh, it's about time, and, and gosh, it, it, what a great team they had. Uh, I got so you know I, I don't normally uh, watch much baseball down here. All we have is uh, is the Braves, and now uh, I think the Braves only have about one or two guys left that I've ever heard of. <laughs> but uh, the the Cubs, uh, you know, did, did made some great transactions. And uh, they uh, they had a lot of well, I want to say luck because you, there's no such thing as I guess there is luck if a, if an infielder an outfielder falls on his face accidentally and a guy gets a home run uh, you know <laughs> things like that but I mean it's just, they 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 had uh, everything went together for them they had a good they had a great infield and uh, the uh, uh, I was I was proud of them I was. Happy to have been a part of them. Only, I'm the, I think I'm the third oldest living Chicago Cub. So, uh, wow. Or the sixth or yeah. something like Again, that. Again, the ravages of time, uh, Ransom, huh? Oh. Oh. It moves us on. Um, well, well I, 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 honestly, I'm, I'm envious of how sharp you sound. I have to do whatever you're doing. Well, you're sticking <laughs> to a robot. Where did you stay when you uh, came to Brooklyn? Uh, I stayed about uh, about four blocks from uh, you know where you could see the water. What do they call okay. that? Um, uh, Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge. Yeah. I stayed Bay Ridge. Across the street was a a place that was completely walled for a block square where uh, the women stayed who were in the Catholic Church or whatever church they were in. We never saw them, uh, but it was it was a the 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 wall was probably twenty feet high, and uh, they lived in there, and uh, they just they were right across the street, and uh, I, I don't know what they did in there, but uh, but that that's where exactly where I lived, and I and I just I just walk up about two blocks up, get off the subway, and get off uh, what a block from from uh, the ballpark and. And there would always be always be kids there, and, and I'd just walk up to the to the front mm-hmm. of the ballpark with the kids, and we'd just talk and talk and talk and talk, and then I'd say <laughs> I got to go in, and so that's what I'd do. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and then uh, you, can you, you, you had to tell them it was time for you to go to work, huh, Ransom? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go to work with make yeah. make money. Yeah, and, uh, do you? Do you have um, any specifics that you might be able to throw out there as to what they would ask you? I'm, I'm sure it was mainly baseball-related, but is there anything that sticks out? No. Of course, they all had their favorite ball players, And, uh, you know, sometimes they'd say, Can I, will, you, will, you get my, will you take my ball and, and get uh, Cleveland Mine to sign it for me? Or, or Duke Snyder? I said, well, <laughs> no, I really can't do that, you know. Uh, if you, <laughs> you got a thousand dollars, I'll do it. But uh, right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, the kids were all you know they were all baseball oriented, and uh, they most of the time they had something to sign, which of course I would. 
But same thing in Chicago. I always, uh, I wouldn't leave the ballpark for, I don't know, I'd spend an hour out there talking to the kids because I had so much fun doing it. Well, that's wonderful, though, to um, share that with the kids. Was there any particular uh, player that uh, you hit it off with before and and after you came to the Dodgers? And, did, you know, uh, if it was before, did it carry over into your playing year, uh, playing time with the Dodgers? Well, no, that, that, that sounds kind of unusual, but uh, uh, you, you play with 200 guys or what over the course of a career, and uh, sometimes uh, I know I know the Dodgers, they had a group that lived pretty much within a few blocks of each other, and um, they had, uh, you know, they'd after a game, they'd all get together and, and uh, cook out and all that kind of stuff, but... Uh, all my career was just not a loner, but uh, there's uh, just wasn't. When I was at home, by that I mean wherever I was in Chicago or in Brooklyn, it was it was mostly family oriented. You just uh, mm-hmm. you just stayed there till the next day. Of course, when you went on the road, uh, you got uh, kind of close to the guys you room with, like uh, Drysdale and Roger Craig. Uh, we're two of my roommates, so we we got to be very close. Of course, uh, Drysdale came to visit me two or three times in in Athens, and uh, uh, and uh, Roger I've seen a couple of times since uh, I got out of baseball, uh, and he's done well too. So, uh, but as far as you know, like I was saying, you get together with the families. Uh, I, I never, I don't think I ever did that, but uh, I know some of the families did, but, uh, I just, just never, I didn't see anybody except at the ballpark. Right, right, exactly. All business. Yeah, Ransom, well, you know, I, was, I, I, I wanted to ask, I know. Ransom, when, when, um, in, I was, one, by the way, Ransom, I was one of those kids bothering the Dodgers at the ballpark because we would spend our summers <laughs> back down in New York um, visiting with uh-huh. Clem, and he'd let us stay at the Hotel Bossert with him. His son and I were the same age, and so I was one of those pesky kids, by the way. But um, when you come across, historically, um, um, you come across to the Brooklyn Dodgers, and you've been you've been tagged and brought over to follow up Jackie Robinson's career. Did, when, mm-hmm. did you have the perspective when you came over that it would be a, that it'd be tough to fill his shoes, that it was perfectly within your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. that you were confident, in a sense, replacing Jackie at third base? What were you thinking about coming over? Or back in 56, was, was, it, was it not as big an issue? It was not as a big historical discussing point as it is now. How did you well, feel you know, about we're being back. named as that fellow to come across? Well, we're looking back a long time, and uh, I, I really think that I never really, really thought about it. Of course, I you know I was dumb dumb all my life as far as as sports or looking forward to something or planning or you know or I, you know I didn't there's a lot of things I did in baseball that nobody else has done that I didn't even know I did until years and years later. So. You know, I'm not very smart when it comes to all that stuff. But uh I'm not I sure uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I uh I just you know, I just went through life and uh uh just doing 
just doing you know what I what I did and, and uh, uh, not really thinking too hard and and all these guys that I ran across and you know you know even Jackie uh, that you know they to me they were people and uh, that's just the way I've been all my life uh, growing up in the South uh, I just you know people are people you know if, if you're working with them and uh, you know. They do their job, you do yours, uh, and I sure. don't have any problems with anybody. And so uh, I, I got along fine. I never never thought about, even when I was traded, uh, you know, about the, the it was it was, it was was quite a deal, you know. The newspapers in Chicago were mad as hell. Uh, <laughs> they had, uh, had letters from, I've got copies of letters from, that uh, fans sent me that you know they were never never going to go to another another Cub game as long as they live and all that kind of stuff. You know that made me kind of made me feel good. But uh, I uh, you know I just you know I knew I was traded and I knew that uh, I knew who Jackie was. I'd played against him for for five years, so I you know I thought he was uh, the best all round baseball player I'd ever seen. So, uh, really? and I was delighted. I just felt that it was an honor to go over and play with Jackie and all these other guys. And uh, sure, you know, and when when uh, the the manager Austin uh, told me to begin with, you know, y'all are going to play during spring training. Y'all going, you know, you're going to play part of the games, and and Jackie's going to play part of the games. Just hang in there. And then when the day before the season started, when he called me in his office and he said, you know, I'm going to start Jackie. Because he's been here so long, and I said you are doing the right thing. Because he is—he is—he's uh, uh, been here. He's—he's—he's uh, uh, he's a great ball player, and he deserves to start. So uh, I appreciate you telling me, but you know, I—I I, I think you're doing the right thing. So uh, you know, I had—I I, didn't—I didn't have any problems at all. Uh, so. Uh, it uh, the only problem I ever had that I could remember is uh, uh, I had a I played at Oklahoma City one year, and uh, the, one of my good friends there uh, was uh, I finally got in touch with him after many 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 years, and uh, we talked for an hour. At the end of the time, he said, "You know, there were a lot of guys there that didn't like you," and I said, "What? You know, I'm the nicest guy in the world." And he said, well, I said, why? He said, they didn't like you because you were a college graduate. That's something. And I said, golly. And, you know, that, you know, maybe that, uh, maybe some of the guys over the years didn't like me for that. But, I, you know, I never ran into it. But when another guy, his name is Grant Dunlap, and when I, you know, when he tells me that a whole bunch of the guys didn't like me only because I was a college graduate, then I start thinking, you know, I didn't bump, bump into many college graduates over the course of my career. And maybe sure. it was jealousy. It had to be some kind of jealousy or something. But, you know, I always I always thought I'd got along pretty good with everybody. But uh, that uh, I found out that you, I didn't. You know, Ransom, um, Clem also uh, used to share with me, he and I became very close after my dad passed away. He became my best friend. Uh-huh. I became one of his dear friends after my pop passed away. But Clem said that he would feel a little bit of uh, resentment when he'd read a book on the airplane. Some of the guys would, uh, would would kid with him or sneak up and cut the last page out of the book 
<laughs> just to poke fun at him for enjoying reading, you know. So it's funny. Yeah, I, I just thought, thought of that, that as you as you re, as you relayed that that story. No, I didn't read on the plane. I couldn't read. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure, Ransom. You you had a you had you attended two universities. Your your dad apparently believed in education and sports. Your dad was a college ball player, wasn't he, Ransom? Yeah, at Princeton. Right, and obviously uh, the, your family believed in education. So, oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But of course, I got so much free education from the government, so it didn't cost very much. Well, that's good. As as it should be, but that's that's right. a whole other uh, podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ransom, um, I was, I was um, Sam, I, I feel like I'm interrupting no, ahead, Sam a little bit, but I have these questions that have been gnawing at me, and of course, Clem's gone ten years. I have no other big leaguer in my life to pester except you and Carl Erskine, Ransom. So, um, <laughs> I wanted to ask this, and when I was talking to Brent Shire. Um, uh, telling him I was going to have the pleasure of talking with you, Ransom. He said, ask, uh-huh. ask Mr. Jackson what his memories are of that Japan tour, when the when the team lost that seventh game to mm. the Yankees in 56, and then they made you get on an airplane and fly the next day, I guess, within 24 hours, off you guys went yeah. to yeah. Japan. What do you, Brent said, ask him what his memories were of that. Ask him, what was there any magic on that tour for him? What, what does he remember about that? That um, Well, here's what happened. We, we jumped on the plane the next day after the last game, and we flew to Los Angeles, and we played a exhibition game out there just to, just to show off, I guess. And then we flew yeah. to Hawaii, and we played two – we stayed there two days – you know that's horrible. Had to spend two days in Hawaii. Oh my God! Ooh. And then we <laughs> played. The nerves. The noise. Me. We, we played two games there, and then we flew uh, to took off for Japan, and we got to we we landed at Iwo Jima, Guam, and and blew a tire, and had to wait eight hours sitting there on that godforsaken island waiting for a tire to be flown in back from Hawaii. Oh my God. And then we Thank got goodness. into uh, we got into uh, uh, toy, uh, Tokyo about eleven o'clock at night. But the the trip itself there, you know, we we supposed to play twenty games, but we got rained out. I believe two games, and we we had a record of I think it was sixteen and two or something like that. So, uh, but the each we. We'd get to a city. We'd go from city to city, uh, and when we get there, they'd put us in cars and usually convertibles, and we'd go down the middle of the town, and everybody'd be throwing those little paper things out the with a machete, not yeah. <laughs> confetti, machete, confetti. Out I the hope they're not throwing machetes. Out throwing yeah. Yeah, machetes. That we were dodging <laughs> ties. <laughs> now we're yeah, they, real throwing the yeah. confetti. They were throwing the confetti out, and then we'd get to the game, and they, they usually the parks usually held about between thirty-five and forty thousand people, and they would be absolutely packed everywhere. And then we'd play the game, and we played against uh, they. What they had done is they, they'd, they'd go down and got got the best players from. They had I think at that time they had two different leagues in Japan, and they uh, they got uh, the best guys from each league. And they made up a team to play us, 
So uh, the, the games were pretty good. They were the, the players were entirely different. They 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 didn't they didn't have these fast throwers, but they were all throwing curveballs. And the and they uh, they didn't have many home run hitters, but they got a lot of singles. So it was a different different kind of way of playing. But we had a lot of fun. The trip Japan is a beautiful beautiful country, and uh, we'd spend. Uh, uh, my roommate was Drysdale, and we'd get on the Pullman cars, and he didn't quite fit into the the, the yeah, Pullman. Tall boy, wasn't he? He was. So- it was so much fun to see see him curled up over in the corner. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we made we made one stop at Hiroshima, and uh, it was you know that was a little over ten years after the the bomb. And uh, Don and I were standing in the in the lobby the first night. They told us not to go out, with, without you know go out at at least three people, and uh, so uh, so Don and I just stayed at the lobby. And uh, there was a, a, a young woman behind the counter, and a young guy was kind of the bus boy, bell boy, and they were just standing there. So, you know, uh, curious me walked over and said, "Can I ask you all a question?" And they said, "They said sure." They spoke good English. And I said, "Where were y'all when the bomb came down?" And they said, "Well, the Americans had flown over uh, a couple of weeks before and dropped pamphlets." Uh, saying that uh, something terrible was going to happen, you need to go up into the mountains. And he said, they said that our families went up in the mountains. So they were saying, wow. and I said, I did not know that. And uh, I didn't so know every that, time right? I t- make a speech, and since that time I've probably made 50, 75 speeches, uh, I always tell that story, and I have everybody out there gasping and said, I didn't know that. I didn't. And then I, I, and I had a couple of, Young guys who t- who taught history at high schools here, and they said we, they both said I, we knew that, and that we we tell the story in our history classes. And I said, well, good for you. And then I was making a talk in Augusta, and afterwards uh, they had a lot of old baseball players that came to the, to it. They had about twenty five old baseball players, and. Uh, one of the guys came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes. And he says, I just want to tell you, I was on one of those planes that dropped the bomb, that dropped the pamphlets. Pamphlets. And, uh, and he said, please keep on telling that story. And I said, well, I yes, promise you. Yes, that I'm is an important story, it. Ransom. That, that every every speech I make, I will tell that story. That does get lost yeah. in the history books, for sure. I, mean, because I can't understand it. I guess it's political, but... Uh, well, well, I mean, you know, considering that there's some, uh, you know, there's some bad press now uh, regarding dropping the bomb. Yeah. That does put that does put uh, America a little bit more in, in a good light regarding, you know, warning civilians. And, I think and the it's idea, an amazing you know, considering story, that isn't it, talked, Sam? And they, they, you know, they've always said like it, it was it was a military. Uh, they, they were they were focusing on military bases, you, you know. Um, well, they estimate that they saved probably over a million lives by doing that. They they lost right. a couple hundred thousand, saved uh, right. over a million. So, you know, but you, you, you know, it's a plus or minus. But uh, for something as big as that to be left out of history books is just that's just 
disgrace horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's I didn't know it until this conversation, Ransom. I didn't know that. You didn't. No, I didn't, sir. Now you right exactly. <laughs> now I know. Yeah, you, Ransom, so you can send me five dollars for that information. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you an honorarium check for that education, Ransom, because that is an important story, you know. And yeah, uh, I got you there so far. Send me something, do y'all. On, on this inter- interview, do you have a uh, a podcast or anything or something that you make a copy of this that I can listen to? Oh, yes, sure. yes, Sam, we'll be him. able to send you a copy of this. Absolutely. Okay, or or I can find it somewhere. You can find it if you do have access to the internet. By all means, you can find it there. But if you'd like a hard copy, uh, I'd be uh, glad to give it to you. Well, how about both of them? Sure, sure, I can I can do that. Do you have my address? Yes. When we get off the air, uh, I I will uh, collect that so we don't announce it to everybody, of course. (laughs) Okay. Don't don't want don't want you uh, getting some some. there's there's some Dodger fanatics that might knock on your door, Randy, or some old or some old fans from Chicago, some who were young women yeah. fans at the time. We can't have Terry. We can't let Terry know we gave away your address in case any of these women <laughs> still you know, lust after women you. Fans. Fans. Speaking of women fans, you know my book. Uh, it just came out last summer, and it's it's hard to you know to sell a million copies when you're just sitting here in Athens, Georgia. Sure. Uh, and you're not on national TV, but uh, sure. it's, it's amazing how many women women I've had come up to me and said, you know, I never. These most a lot of elderly women say I've never followed sports in my life, but I bought the book because you're from Athens and so forth. She said, huh. and they all say, right. you know, I just could not put it down. So I said, well, yeah. it very, is a good book, Ransom. It is a very mostly true. Yeah, it's anecdotal, and, and it's, it's wonderful memories. And, yeah, I, uh, unfortunately I didn't get a chance to, to read it this week, uh, but luckily, uh, you know, I, uh, in terms of this interview, I had I had Rick as the, the clip notes, if you will, for me. And, and, uh, I, I bought the copy. I look forward I to reading my, it I, bought the, I had read it before when it first came out. I think it came out last year, Ransom. But knowing you uh, and I yeah, were going to talk, I, do- I no. downloaded it digitally on my computer. So uh, you got two sales from me over the last eight, nine months. So. Ransom, oh, really? before, yeah. I, before I forget, um, another thing I talked to Brent Shire about, and I'd like to ask you. I don't want to run out of time without asking you this, Ransom. Um, you know, old Dodger fans, guys like me who are getting up now in years, but we're the kids in the stands. Um, uh-huh. We and you mentioned it in your book. The fans were heartbroken when Brook when the Dodgers went to L.A. A lot of the fans were heartbroken. When you think back on that time period, there's still arguments going on, Ransom, about whether the New York political group or Robert Moses and the politicians made it too tough for Walter O'Malley to stay. That's one point of view, that he tried real hard to get into the ballpark, Bill. But the other point of view, Ransom, is no, Walter O'Malley deserted Brooklyn, and he always wanted to go to another city. Do you have any memory of that, Ransom? Ransom, can you hear me? Ransom? Are you there, Ransom? Sam? 
sounds like we might have lost him. Yeah, I'm back now. Oh, hey, hey, oh, there you are. I that was good. Go. So where, what was the last thing you heard? Live, what live, was live radio, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ransom, did, did you get my last question to you? About Walter uh, O'Malley, you were no, I didn't get the whole thing because we got cut off. Okay, I'm going to ask you real quick uh, again. When you yeah, think back on the, when you think back on the on that time period when Brooklyn moved to Los Angeles, those the argument yeah. still goes on with the with the fans. Those of us getting older, some of us feel that O'Malley was forced out of Brooklyn. The other group feels that O'Malley deserted Brooklyn. That he wanted to get out. Do you have any memory of what the mood, what, what the opinion was at the time? What did the players think? What did the Brooklyn fans think? Did they did they think O'Malley was stealing their team, or did they think New York had driven the Dodgers out? Well, see, I started out by saying you're asking the wrong guy. Because yeah. mm-hmm. when I picked up the paper in December of that year and found out that the Dodgers were moving, that's mm-hmm. the first I knew of it. Wow. So, uh, you know, they did you know they didn't ask the players do you think yeah that's it was at a it, that was being discussed in the at the ownership level you mean in the management level yeah i understand that i just wondered if you'd ever heard the word on the street what did you think was going what did the fans think was going on but you're saying that um, it wasn't something you involved yourself with i think we might have lost him again rick Okay. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like we are having some telephone issues. Um, I think that I will have to, let me see, because we conferenced him in, so I have to, unfortunately, everybody out there, I have to figure out, um, you know. Will you get back I to him, Sam, and get to, his? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to call him again. Uh, okay, so, and will Rick, you get his mailing I, I information I'm for you? To, what was that? No, I, I have Sammy. a phone number uh, stored. Uh, I have okay. the phone number stored, uh, Rick. If you could go okay. ahead and fill the air, I know that I'm. <laughs> this is you know this, this is what happens no. with uh, live radio, everybody. If you could go ahead and no, fill the air, I me, have to hop off real quick and then give him a okay. call. So Rick, take it away. I will, Sam. And uh, so let me take it away, as Sam puts it. I want to thank Sam for for giving us this opportunity. Um, I'm not a man of this century, but Sam knows how to get these things done and recorded and, and handle these interviews. Um, I, I'm, I'm not uh, such a high-tech fellow. Um, so thank you, Sam, for letting it happen. And even though he's not on the phone right now, thank you, Randy Jackson, for sharing those uh, that time with us, uh, Randy. Um, it really is a pleasure. Again, I would say to Randy, where he's still on the line, and I will talk to him later, People, unless you, unless someone was a fan of a baseball team like our Brooklyn Dodgers, unless you had that driving passion as a kid, unless you, you, your son rose and set based on the last Dodger victory or loss or the Cub victory or loss, you really probably don't know how emotional it is to talk to someone who played on those fields. Um, I know that they were great ball fans, but for me, when I look back, and I've just got a chance to talk to Randy Jackson for a half hour, he took me right back to my childhood, to, to driving from Rhode Island to Ebbets Field 30, 35 times a year with my father and with Clem Levine's son, J.R. Levine, 
And what just happened to me for 30 minutes was um, Ransom Jackson took me back really to my childhood, to the Bossert Hotel, um, to those marvelous times, and to sitting in the dressing room with Clem's son and waiting for Clem to finish up his shower and take us back to the hotel or out to dinner. Well, those are wonderful memories, and I keep them with me. And um, I'm currently writing another book about them, those memories, uh, from a slightly different point of view than my friendship and my dad's friendship with Clem. But when you're talking to one of these giants, when you're talking to one of these, these icons, the third baseman who was brought on board to, 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 to take over when Jackie Robinson finally didn't, couldn't go to third base anymore. You're talking to a bit of history that's absolutely alive today, but is brought almost more back to life when you get these fellas to talk about it. I mean, um, again, I hope I express that well, but um, I do want to say that... Um, I wish everybody could have the experience of having loved a baseball player and known him personally. And it was just a quirk of fate. Um, the way the universe twisted and turned is that Tim Levine, who was a Woonsocket, Rhode Island high school player, worked uh, summers at my dad's place, and, we, and they developed a friendship. And uh, it was nothing I did. It was just that I was one of the luckiest kids in North American history, probably. And I felt it again Rick, today. Rick, talking... uh, I'm happy to hear that you've been able to fill the air, but we do have uh, Ransom back. Oh, wonderful. I'm back. That's a treat. <laughs> you yeah, you found him again. He had a five-minute dissertation. He paid the bill. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great line. You didn't pay the bill, Sam. No, I'm just kidding, but that's funny. I, I know, yeah, right. we thought we lost your ransom. And um, I was just saying to the to the airtime we had left that what you did for me for a half hour today, Ransom, is you brought my childhood back. And I don't say oh, it good. Uh, lightly. I mean, I really mean it. For those of us who were the kids on the other side of the of the of the of the dugout, those kids watching you guys play, Ransom. It absolutely was a huge and still is an enormous part of our lives. I, wonder, I often wondered if baseball players understood how huge an impact they were having on the kids that loved them, man. And you were part of that from my well, point I of view. Did. You were one of my Brooklyn Dodger heroes, man. I just had fun talking to them and making the big money. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I figured yeah. the other day that uh, uh, I, I, I took – all, I knew just about what I made the whole time total in the 10 years I played in the major leagues, and I added it up, and I compared it to some of the guys today, and they make more money in one game than I made in the whole time I played. Sure. Believe I believe that. Yeah, I believe uh, that. Makes me kind of jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when Clem was working off seasons, Randy, um, uh -huh. We know what we were paying him for his year's work with us, and he would always say to us, my gosh, I'm in the textile business with you guys in a little mill town, and you guys are paying me as much or more than the great Brooklyn Dodgers. And so we know yeah. how um, small his pay, uh, his salary was, his check was each, each month. But, uh, well, I'm, I want to say this, um, uh, Ransom, you did. What I said to you, I wasn't uh, being uh, flip about it. You guys changed our lives, and having you back on the phone to me is a real gift, um, a, a real gift. And um, well, that's I want nice to thank you for coming that, on Eddie. with us. 
Um, I mean, I could go another hour or so. Well, I, it, we can see how long we uh, we can uh, go, and and why don't we start with uh, with this question? Yeah. Um, you know, I back in the day, obviously they um, you used to negotiate for yourself. They're like you were talking about uh, uh, the players this this day and age. They're not getting a million dollars on their own. Yeah. Uh, you, so. Who would you generally, you know, since you were traded in December, I, I figure you had at least two different uh, uh, one-year contract uh, negotiations that you had to deal with. Who were you dealing with in that instance? Was it was it well, Walter O'Malley and Buzzy or just Buzzy? No, uh, yeah, I dealt with Buzzy. I, I, the, in, in 1950, the, the winter of 1955, I was traded. And that year, I had, because uh, I'd, I'd played an all-star game for the Cubs, and I had, uh, uh, I think I had 70-some-odd run batted in and 21 home runs and, and made the all-star team, of course, and then and uh, led the third baseman and put out some assists and, you know, a bunch of other things. And so I thought I had some some background to uh, to ask for a raise. I was looking forward to it. And I was making uh, uh, $20,000. And uh, so uh, when I was traded and I start, uh, I was expecting a, a letter from, from Buzzy. I mean, that's what they told me. And so I got the letter, and I, I ripped it open. I was expecting, you know, big numbers to jump out at me. And uh, so he offered me $20,000, the same thing that I was making at the Cubs, and I wrote him back, and I said, Mr. Pavese, uh, you know, last year I uh, I was uh, drove in 70-some-odd runs, and I hit 21 home runs, and I made the all-star team, and I led the league and put out some assist, and I just thought I deserved something. And he wrote me back and said, well, you sound like a nice guy, so i tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a $1,000 raise. Yeah. And, I, and I signed that thing and said it back so fast. <laughs> to go to the Dodgers. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it was special delivery. So that's that's the way you made. It. You know, I never, I never got more than a, I think a two thousand dollar, twenty five hundred dollar raise in my life. And of course, the most I ever made was twenty one thousand dollars. And uh, I think, that looking back, and I think I asked Carl that too. Uh, looking back at what they made back in the in the fifties, and all all the Dodgers. Uh, were making uh, in the 40s. I think maybe one of them was making 50, but they were all in the 40s. And there was there was only two guys making 100,000 in the in the major leagues, and that was uh, Mantle and, and Williams. Right. So you know they just didn't pay, and there's nothing we could do about it. I didn't. I don't even if I knew who to argue with. I mean, I wanted to argue. I didn't know who to argue with, and I probably didn't have the gut. Probably didn't have the guts to argue with. Them. I was so happy to be where I was. I think that they took advantage of a lot of us. That's right. the definition, exactly. Ransom, of a monopoly, what they did to you yeah. fellas. It was a monopoly at work. That's what it was. That's right. Yep. And they took full advantage of it. I, as you're telling your numbers, I don't have them right in front of me, but Clem labored in the in the 20s also, um, one, I think there was always a bonus if they made the playoffs. I mean, they made the series if they won the National League, for instance, or a bonus for uh, any per, few bonus incentives. But Clem used to fight like hell to gross out 30000 and I don't think he did it yeah. many years, to be honest, Ransom. Um, so uh, you weren't alone. 
<laughs> that's what they did yeah. to the players. They took full advantage, and um, and that's just well, the way it was. I've never met in my life. <laughs> so uh, Ran- <laughs> I'll be your agent, Ransom. Sam and I will be your agent from this point for the next <laughs> yeah, ninety let's, years. Let's get it done <laughs> right now. I, I guess a turtle could probably outrun me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd be fine to uh to get that live on Facebook. Let's let's see if we can uh we can uh, set that up. I'll come down to Athens for you. All right. <laughs> uh, have a race. Right. I'll give you yeah. a race too. Hey yeah. Ransom so what, um, what was yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Sam. No, I was gonna say no, Ransom I was just this is per- what... uh, Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> no, it's it's okay, Rick. Yeah, I I just wanted to. I was just curious as to what your impression was of Walter O'Malley. Well, uh, I liked it. You know, he had a cigar, and uh, he you, you, you know you don't see these guys very often. Uh, when I didn't see any of the Wrigleys, I mean, they most of the guys on the team wouldn't know Mister Wrigley if he walked in the clubhouse. But right. uh, you know, O'Malley was around enough. He saw him. He saw him a lot at spring training, of course. But uh, you know, he he you'd see him sometimes at the ballpark, and you knew who he was. I mean, you weren't invited out to his. Well, I wasn't invited out yeah. to his his house or whatever. He never, you know, gave you a, gave you a present or anything. He just he was he was there. He was older. He just do him as Mister O'Malley, and that was it. But it's you know he's a nice guy, so I have uh, no qualms about uh, about him. That's but, what I've uh, heard too. You know, some of these, yeah, some of these owners, I guess the the players never see him. They right. don't even know who the owner is. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Ransom, on a bit of a personal note. Let's assume that uh, an aging fan were heading down that way to Athens, to your neck of the woods, and and uh, that that uh, aging fan got in touch with you with plenty of notice. Would you be receptive to me calling a week or two in advance and seeing if maybe I could meet you for an hour if I come through your neck of the woods at some point? I would treat to lunch. Well, this age this aging ball player would be delighted. To to have an, an ancient fan come by his house and see all his stuff he's got, and talk yeah, as long as he that. wants. Oh, I'd love that. I would really love that. Well, that's that, that's you, excellent. You, you know, you could bring your nurse and whatever you, whatever yeah. you have to travel with. Right. If you're that old. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but you know, I need right. a I need a walker uh, and. Uh, I don't get around a whole lot. I had to quit playing golf, which I hated. Mm. But I I started at 12 or 13 years old and quit at 82. So I had a, I had a good run. And I also, I'm what's told the, what's the highest you, you were you one heck of a golfer, too. You were a good golfer. Uh, you don't say the highest you ever scored. you lowest oh, you ever scored. The lowest, of yeah. course. The, 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 you, yeah. you can oh, see I've how had, uh, ignorant I am to golf. <laughs> I think I've had... I had Three or four sixty-eights. Yeah. Nice. I see. That's I, I less don't than par on most courses. Yeah, yeah. sixty-eight yeah. is excellent, actually. My yeah. handicap oh, yeah. has been as low as my handicap was as low as two at one time, and I guess when I quit, it was it was ten. 
Mm. And I guess when you were on the Chicago Cubs, you used to get ribbed every now and then, sometimes by the media, by the by the press coverage there. They would say if 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 Mr. Jackson would would spend less time on golf, he he could improve his swing in baseball. So I read a few of those blurbs where people thought that some of you guys were playing a lot of golf. Little did they know well, I, that it probably helped your baseball performance. Well, in my ten years of Major League Baseball. Baseball, I think I've played uh, four times. So, you know, it, it was just a story. It's like one of these blown-up stories. So, uh, you know, it's just yeah. something for the for the newspaper people to uh, complain about or write stories about. Uh, yep. You know, just they're looking for something. So it's usually negative. Yep, so, that's right. Uh, they they, uh, they I, were very I, unkind they were very unkind, some of these writers, to the to the ball players. Very unkind and uh, well, I think very nasty. I think I, Peter I O'Malley still resents. I think, yeah, I think that um, Walter, uh, that Peter O'Malley still resents some of the um, treatment that his ball, that Walt, that the Dodgers and his father got from the media up in the Northeast. I think mm-hmm. that uh, the media can be very, very cruel uh, to their ball players. Well, they think that sells more than saying, "Oh, this guy's great. He works for a foundation for for kids who have health problems." You know, they'd rather yep. say uh, he cheats on his wife than uh, yep. you know talking about the good things he does. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and it just reminds me thinking about um, uh, the golf angle of it <clears throat> uh, here in New York. Uh, Johanna Cespedes, who unfortunately. Yeah, uh, geez. Now, now, here's all the you know my my uh, mess angst coming up with the the way they've been the last few days. But outside of uh. outside of that part, um, you know, Johanna Cespedes uh, sometimes gets a, a little bit of flack for for playing golf every morning, playing golf mm. every day, and and um, yeah, I, you know, it's never the the uh, I think the only biggest issue that it's ever uh, ta- taken on is the the fact that like. You know, if if his quad is a little messed up or his hamstring is messed up, what's he doing out uh, on on uh, on the the golf course? But it seems as if um, not too much has changed, even as everything you know changes. As they say, you know, everything changes and everything stays the same. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about sports writers: if you were playing golf every day and uh, and you were uh, hitting 30 home runs and knocking in 120 runs, they wouldn't say a thing. Right. But if you were playing golf every day and you were having a bad year, they'd blame it on golf. Sure. So, you know, this, I've, you know, I, I ran across enough sports writers over the years to know, and, a lot, you know, a lot of them are nice guys, but uh, uh, quite a few of them were negative writers, and that's that's what they did. And if you ask yep. them to write a story, a nice story about somebody, uh, they wouldn't know what to do. Right? right. They wouldn't uh, know how to give. I'm, they wouldn't I'm know how to do that. Facetious here. Uh, yep. As I said, I'm being a little facetious here, but that, that's just, just uh, I'm. Uh, I think that so many of them uh, write that way. That's a shame. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It really is. This fellow, this fellow Dick Young, um, the New York writer who was uh, uh, read a lot, and his columns were read every day yeah, by the fans. Yeah, this fellow Dick Young 
was vicious to some of the Dodger players, and later on to Tom Seaver, the Mets. And um, in fact, I think Tom Seaver once requested a trade, Sam, um, if yep. if they didn't get Dick Young off his off his personal once, life. Once so, requested a trade. It's, it's funny, you know, if, to Mets fans, it's like it, 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 we call it the Midnight Massacre. Yeah. Um, and because I think it was both, uh, uh, it was two separate trades with Gabe Kingman involved in another, I, which it might be with the Cubs, speaking of which, but because um, I know he was a Cub a bunch of times. But, uh, uh, yeah, obviously to Cincinnati, and uh, as, as Joe Torre infamously called it in the Met 1977 yearbook video, uh, this, I call it the Steve Henderson trade. <laughs> I don't think that Met fans are really calling yeah. it the Steve Henderson trade right now. Well, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to admit that Dick was one of the, one of the ones that uh, the nastier the better. Yep. But the majority of them are great guys, and they wrote, they wrote it as they saw it. They did inject yep. stuff that, uh, uh, that, that they couldn't prove. Right. Right. But you're right about this, uh, Ransom. Given the chance to write an attention-grabbing headline, they didn't care who, which player they were attacking. I remember once back in the 50s there was a headline. Uh, Zimmer had had a great week or 10 days of performance. He had a bad game or an error, whatever it was, blew a double play. And Dick Young comes out with the, the sports headline, Don Zimmer plays like a little leaguer. One time, uh, Dick Young said about Clem after he, he blew a game in the ninth is that, uh, oh, great, the Dodgers now have a fireman, relief pitcher, a fireman who throws gasoline on fire. So he could be – he had a, a bit of a nasty streak uh, to him. That well, when Dick I Young. came over there, Pee Wee came up to me and said, I want to tell you uh, that uh, there's a sports writer here you want to stay away from. And he named him, and I'm not going to name him, but – uh, he named him, and I'd heard of him. And uh, mm-hmm. he said, you don't want to talk to him. He says, what he'll do, he'll come up to you and say, uh, and he'll get his little piece of paper out. He said, I need to ask you a question. You say, what? He says, are you still beating your wife? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, what's your answer? Yeah, yes well, or no, no you're in trouble. Now, you know, you know, well, yeah, you know, you, you know, yes or no is, is bad. So uh, yeah. I mean, he, he used that as an example. No, you can yeah. Go ahead and you can finish, uh, Randy. Okay, well that was it. That was just an example of uh, how they are. That they want. Right, it, exactly. It's, it's negative, yeah. So, so did you find that that was similar uh, in Chicago and New York, considering you know they're both pretty big towns? Uh, or was there there that much more of of a difference in a negative way on the Brooklyn side of things? No, there was there was normally one or possibly two in each town, and there always is because I I think they that they think that, that puts them a little bit different. They make a little bit more money, or they're you know they're they're uh, they're, they're they want uh, that their people want to read their stuff more. It's because it's negative, so. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there's not that many, but they're they're out there, right? And I hear that, and and uh, you know, it we we get flooded with them. Uh, there's about like 25 different beat writers these days in, in New York City, and and it's uh, it's quite astounding sometimes, even um even in this day and age, 
you know, uh-huh. 24, 24-7 uh, material. You always need something to write about. Yeah. And and so for you, um, y- you know, obviously there were, like we said, there's a lot of similarities. But what is your take on, on the 24-7 news cycle that, that is basically not just sports, but everything uh, these days? Uh, what do you mean by twenty twenty? Well, so the twenty four seven news cycle. There's always something to write about. There's always a tweet, if you will. Uh, Facebook, yeah, well, you know, you know that. I guess they got to make money, so they they insist if they're gonna pay you big money. Then you got to come up with something. They don't want something every once a week. They want something all the time. And so yeah, uh, that's so they're out. They're out sneaking around in the locker room, uh, you know, asking asking around, uh, looking for something negative. So uh, because that's that's what they've been told that uh, they've got to have something all the time. They can't sit back and be one of these famous sports writers who who uh, you know do something whenever they get 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 the urge. Uh, and and it's it's so hard to cover. Are you are you there? Yeah, yeah, we're yep. here. Okay, it's so hard. It seems like it's hard for them to uh, to uh, write a a true story than it is to write a negative story. It seems to be more fun for them. Uh, yeah. This is just my my idea, but you know, and uh, there were there were uh, over over the years there have been guys, sports writers that uh, the ball players would just they didn't even want to sit down with. Yeah, because of the way they wrote. But that's their life, you know. That's the way that's they want to be. Have, that's the way that's, they want to be. That's what they're going to look back and see who they were at that time. That's who they would choose to be. Randy, and you, you um, would you hear in your, you would hear stories about about how they would um, uh, they would kind of constantly be buying the the players drinks and they would think everything's <clears throat> everything's all right or off the record and they. I think Dick. No. This is, speaking of Dick Young, this is something you would do. You know, they'd they'd have a a night together at a bar, and then the next morning there's some headlines, and it's like, hey, excuse me. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Rick. I know you were about to say something. No, that's okay. R- Randy, you know, um, in your book you mention um, you mention um, Chuck Connors, who then became a movie yeah. actor, of course, uh, the Rifleman Chuck Connors. You you mention oh, yeah. him. What what kind of fellow was he? Was, do, do you have any well, specific he was a, memories of Chuck Connors? Oh, I have many memories of Chuck Connors. He was a, he, you know, he was an extrovert with a capital X. He, uh, <laughs> we, I, I spent a lot of time with Chuck, and uh, had, had a lot of fun with him, and was was just, uh, you know, if you sit down with a, ta- at a table with with Chuck to eat, uh, you were, you know, no telling what what he would do or say. Uh, while you were eating, so uh, I sat out when, when when my wife and I went out to recreate the, uh, I guess it was the fiftieth anniversary of the Dodgers uh, move to uh, to L.A. Uh, they had a uniform for us, and we we were going to uh, play uh, one inning, I guess, for the fans, and so uh, I was sitting there. Getting my uniform on, and Chuck came and sat down beside me, and I uh, said, "Hey, Chuck, how you doing?" He looked over at me and he said, "Hey, how are you?" And he started putting on his uniform, so I finished putting on my uniform, 
And when I finished putting on my uniform, he turned around and looked at me and said, Randy, how are you doing? He didn't recognize me uh, <laughs> without my uniform on. So uh, That's but, very uh, I funny. spent a lot of hours with Chuck, and he was he's, uh, they were interesting hours. Yeah. That, you, sure. know, as, you know, I was a little boy, so, of course, um, and it would get a little bit older, of course, as I as time ravaged me a bit. But Clem and I progressed in our friendship. And whenever Chuck Connors' name would come up, Clem would sort of avoid the topic and and uh, sort of guide me off that line of questioning. And I always was I always thought that there were some stories he probably didn't want to share with me because he still viewed me as an 11 year old kid hanging on to his sleeve. But that's why I ask you is, well, I, love I, I understand he I was quite a character. Yeah, I love talking about him. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know what Clem had heard. And, uh, maybe if I had heard him, just, I'd have felt the same way. But he, he yeah, was no, fun I'm to sure be around. Was, I'm sure that Clem liked him, and I'm sure that Clem had some very good memories of, of his friendship with Chuck Connors, but I don't think he wanted to share them with me for some reason, so I never <laughs> I never pushed him. He would say, ah, Chuck's a good guy. Chuck was a good guy. And he would smile, blush a little bit, and find an excuse to go get a, a glass of water. Really? But no, he's, that's he's, why I wanted to ask. He's on my list of, of guys that are very interesting and fun to be around. I've met a, I've met a lot of people over the years. Uh, one of my good friends was a guy named George Goble. I don't know if you remember him or not. He was a comedian. Sure. Uh, yeah, George Goble. But he was he was a good good friend, and uh, he, op- he opened up, and uh, I would... Uh, Walk. I lived about ten blocks south of of the Wrigley Field. I just, I just after the game, I just walked back, and there was a little bar there. And I went in there one day, and this guy was was uh, he was the guy who was entertaining. There wasn't hardly anybody in there, but he'd get up, and, he, and I thought he was so funny, I'd die laughing. So I invited him to come sit with us. And he was a big baseball fan, and so we became very good friends. And I'd go in there all the time and, and talk and listen to him. And then he got a little bigger and bigger. And finally, he, 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 he opened up in L.A. while we were out there. And he, he invited me to come out there and bring somebody. So I brought Don Drysdale on a date. And when he got through, uh, this guy comes over to me and says, uh, Mr. Gold, would like to see you in the dressing room. I said, well, do you want all four of us? He said, no, just the two of you. So we left Don Drysdale and his date sitting there. <laughs> Today it was, been, I mean, years later it's been the other way around. <laughs> so sure, we yeah. went back there in the dressing room and he stopped everything. There were hundred people there, you know, all, you know, all kinds of people, movie people, TV stars, and he he stopped everything and came over to me and sat down with me and we talked baseball for fifteen twenty minutes. So he was he was a friend and uh, you know I've met a lot of good. Of people who were good friends over the years, and uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have done it without without uh, being in, being being in baseball. And so it's been good to me, and I, I appreciate it. And I really didn't appreciate it uh, as much as I, I did when I finished the book and found out what I'd done. Yeah, you have some right. interesting credentials, Randy. Some special things in your career. That you probably didn't yeah, see I, that way. What the the first well, intentional no, base on balls on National League. 
my son called me one day and said, Dad, you know you're on Good Morning America. And I said, uh, what? Yeah. He said, yeah, you're on Good Morning America. And I said, well, why would I be on there? And he said, well, they had a question there. Uh, who was the last brook of Nodger to hit a home run? And they came back uh, a minute later and said it was you. And I said, I did not know that. So that's how I oh, found out I hit the last Brooklyn Dodger home run. That's quite the the, uh, the little trivia to have. It, it, and then, it's, yeah, then, then when I found out I was the first uh, first uh, intentional walk in the major leagues. And, the uh, first that's intentional walk in the major leagues. Yeah, yeah uh, in both leagues. So uh, you know oh, you wow. can take that down to the you know the, to the candy store and get a lollipop for it, but no, I did not. You know, it's it's it, obviously in context of now, considering that it's all of a sudden it, you, you blink, you miss an intentional walk because uh, no pitches now. Yeah. But uh, no, I was going to say that that I didn't realize that wasn't a rule from pretty far back. Well, of course, what happened is no, it. Uh, some of the you know the smart guys in 1953 were sitting up in their in the tall tower and looking through record books. They said, "Well, we can't find you know who hit the first, who got the first industrial walk." And they said, "Well, we got to start from now." So they started. <laughs> oh, yeah. They started in 19. Oh, they had industrial walks for back in but the 1800s. But no one was keeping track of them. <laughs> Nobody was keeping track of it. Right. So they started in 1953. The first game we played a day earlier. Chicago played St. Louis a day earlier, and I got walked in the first inning by Brooks Lawrence, and uh, yeah. to load the bases. And then uh, we do that, and then we tracked it over to the American League and found out that a guy in the first inning had an intentional walk, uh, but uh, there was a time difference of one hour. They were an hour behind us. Uh, so you got the so, first uh, So I got the first t- in e- each league. So I, I win that prize. <laughs> you win and that what prize. What was that prize? Did you, you got prize. You got that. What'd you get out of the <laughs> I, it? It was just something that would take up a paragraph in my book is all it was. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Or get a piece of free what candy at the corner store. <laughs> well, what, what's your opinion about uh, the way they're tinkering with the game uh, right now? Because, you know, for me – I, I think they're being a little short-sighted. If, if, we're, if we're talking about shortening the game, I think they're being a little hypocritical uh, in terms of the balance of it all. Well, I really think that they got, again, they got this tower somewhere that these guys get together, and they say, well, we haven't done anything. We haven't changed the game in the last two years. We haven't changed something in the game, so let's sit down and see what we can change. So they start sitting down and change something. Uh, you know, I think if, if the game would just stay the same, it would be fine. And it's I, not you know, I don't think if, if people complain about the length, they go home early. Uh, they turn the yep. TV off. Good for them. Yep. Right. So uh, you know, that's not going uh, to me. That's not going to bother uh, not going to bother me. But it's uh, it may bother somebody. But you can't do anything in this world without bothering somebody. Right, exactly. Well said. You know, well I mean, said. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, half my family I bother, so, and I got a big family. So. <laughs> uh, that's well, wonderful. I, now you know, I, I, I figure, I figure it's, uh, it, it really is more than half. You know, otherwise you're, you're doing something wrong, right? 
Yeah. yeah. But you, and, the, and, the, and the other one was, well, not the other one, one of the other ones was, you know, uh, in, in Brooklyn but one night, uh, we uh, hit three straight home runs in the bottom of the ninth to win a game, which has never been done. Uh, uh, Duke hit one with Pee Wee on, and then I hit one, and then and Hodges hit one, and, and, that's, and then we went home. And we we, re, we had to research that, so we researched huh. it, researched it, and we found out that it had never been done in baseball. Uh, three home runs. There's been three home runs hit in the bottom of the ninth, but not consecutive. So, right, uh, right, and and we, not uh, and not to and and it was a walk off that third one, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We went home uh, after Hodges hit yeah. his. See, it was yeah. it was uh, they were ahead. Uh, they were ahead. Uh, let's see. Four to one in the bottom of the, in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, no, uh, four to one, yeah. And Pee Wee walked. Duke hit a home run that made it four to four to three. Uh, I hit a home run that made it four to four. Mm-hmm. And I just hit a home run, and we went. Everybody went home. And so we had That's to research wonderful. that thing. And so we did. We researched it. And it, it, as long as you can find two papers that talk about it. You know, you can consider it uh, uh, true, and so we researched, right. it, and we found <laughs> we did we, we found what we were looking for, but it took a while. So, uh, yeah, I think the Dodgers. The uh, I was going to say that the Dodgers have uh, did something similar. I don't know if it was three in a row, but but I'm, the Los Angeles Dodgers did something with. Uh, it, I think Nomar Garcia Parra was the last home run that walked it off. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I think there's been two or three times that that three straight home runs or three home runs have been hit in the bottom right. of the ninth, but it wasn't boom, boom, boom. It was well, somebody hit one, a walk, and then somebody hit another one, and then maybe a single, and somebody hit another one. But there's, there's never been uh, three straight. So uh, and something. It, uh, yeah, it, it is. It's an unusual thing, but you know, it's not in the record books. It's in my record books. Right, my, right, exactly. My book. <laughs> Randy, when you look back uh, at this career, uh, this career, is there anything you think I, I, you would change? Or when you look back now, uh, do you have a big smile on your face when you think of your life? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I, you know, I did did so many things I didn't know I did until, you know, until later on in life. And uh, you know, I could I can pass this down uh to my family and I've got a big family and uh you know, kids that grow up in, in my family that never you know, will never know what I did until they read the book. But uh then uh so many of people that I know that have known all these years that uh didn't know I did some of these things, just knew I was a golfer. Uh, so yeah, you were. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm proud of what I did. I mean, I would have loved to have made more money, but I didn't know it at the time. And, it, and you know, you can't do anything about the past except complain about it. Yeah. And, and uh, so, but I mean, I'm happy about what I did. I I think uh, I don't know whether all this sports I played affected my back like it. I've got three discs that stick out. Uh, but uh, you know, I can't say that that uh, eight, seventy years of golf and 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 uh, three years of football and uh, twelve, 
12 years of baseball, uh, you know, I felt affected. I have no way of knowing, but I, just, I mean, I just suck it up and do what I got to do. Well, that's when you good, use uh, ex- uh, segue, actually, um, you know, because I saw that, you know, like you said, that uh, Jackie Robinson got the job over you in 1956, and you played about 101 games that year. And then the next year, uh, you fell off to 48. Now, was that mainly because of, of kind of a platoon uh, thing going no, on? No, no, no. Or, or was there injury? In about injuries? the, uh, I guess it was about the 10th or 12th game, I was, uh, uh, I, I, I had, uh, I, I hit the ball and I stepped on first base and the first base for Dale Long jumped up in the air and came down on top of me oh. and, and squashed by a knee the wrong way. And so I was out for a long time the first month, about two months, uh, they they couldn't decide whether to operate or not. They just kept saying, hang in there, hang in there. And I said, well, we've got to make some kind of decision. And finally, after, after two months, they said, well, no, we're not going to operate. So then you had to get back in shape. And, sure. Uh, so, and then, <laughs> so, you know, I was, uh, let's see, the, 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 there were three years that I, or my bad years, so to speak, and each time I had some unusual, Twice I was bit by some kind of spider or insect on my hand. And oh, God. the doctors could not, you know, they couldn't say you know, what happened, but they could say that definitely something bit my hand. Hmm. Once, once uh, twice in Chicago. And, I, you know, I have no idea what it was or whether it was a black widow or whether it was just, you know, something, but they had to operate twice, both times. And when you... Well, you know, when you have an operation on your hand, a particular, well, this was on my throwing hand, uh, I mean, you, 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 you don't come back right away. So right. I, was out, I was out a month and a half each year uh, just because of a hand. So I had, I had some unusual injuries. Uh, but, uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, it's just part of part of sports. I mean, if you get, if you get through sports, uh, a year, one year of a sport, and don't get hurt in some way, then you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. And, you're and, and for some for some teams, it's epidemic. It, I come yeah. back to my my Mets. <laughs> it it never never ends. And it, but it's interesting to to hear how they were uh, putting off the the uh, potential surgery, and you didn't end up getting the surgery. But that's something that we we constantly hear with the uh, uh, the New York Mets. Uh, all the time is, is, you know, they're just going to give it one more day, give it one more day, and then the guy yeah. winds up uh, on the DL for six months. And, and it, it, you know, I, 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 I'm, I can't help but think it's just, you know, the, the National League New York lineage that, <laughs> of, of uh, you know, un, undecisiveness. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Ransom, uh, when you titled the book, I guess action. they got to do what they got to do. They, I, I guess they they hopefully they would just wait a. Uh, it's like if uh, you know, if I just buy one more ticket uh, for the lottery, I'll, I'll win. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Take another day. They make the players take another day, day to day. Randy, when you titled the book um, "Accidental Big Leaguer," what generated that title? When you think well, of that, you know, it's what were just you like, thinking? Well, I think, you know, most people, uh, 
when they're going out into the world, uh, well, we'll go to college or do what or something. We'll plan, not kind of plan on it. You know, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a uh, whatever. Uh, I want to be a, a radio guy. Well, you know, I, and then, uh, but me, I never thought about being anything. And, uh, I never planned on anything. And uh, uh, when a guy, when you go out, when they invite you to try out for the major leagues, at that time, in 1947, I could not name you one major leaguer. I guess, oh, I guess I'd heard of Babe Ruth and maybe Joe DiMaggio, but, you know, and so when they come to you and say, uh, you want to try out for the big leagues? I say, well, you know, I'm fixed to graduate. i got to do something. Uh, i got a degree in the business, and I really haven't planned on it or what to do, and, and so I'll give it a try. So you go up there and try out in Chicago, and you do good, they call you in and say, we'll give you a major league contract, you'll be on the major league roster. We'll give you a two-year major league contract for $6,000 a year. You say, whoopee, now i got a job. Sure. So, you yeah. know, that's, 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 the way, that's the way I plan my life. Yeah. Actually, and so yeah, well, that, that explains it perfectly. Yeah. yeah, that explains it. So that's, that's, that's an accidental big leaguer for you right there. Yeah, so great. I like that. You know, Roger Craig uh, said... No, go ahead, Rick. I was going to say, Roger Craig's compliment to you in his preface to your book was nice when he said that you you were a Hall of Famer in your lifestyle and in your heart, in your character, I think was the expression. In your character and your lifestyle and your influence on others, you were were a Hall of Famer. Um, That's a nice compliment. Randy, I can, I can hear that in your voice. I can <laughs> hear that in you. Well, yeah. Roger, I, Roger was a, a southern boy just like me, and we had the mm-hmm. same likes and dislikes. We don't like to go to the movies. Uh, you know, we you know we didn't go out and drink and, and mess around. We just did our jobs, and uh, yeah. so we 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 were good roommates, and uh, we. Uh, and I saw Roger once when I was in Chicago. I took my kids up to Chicago, a couple of them, to see Wrigley Field. And Roger happened to be the manager of, the, of San Francisco at the time, and they were in town. So I got to talk to him. And uh, he said, boy, things are different. I said, what? I know they are. He says, "I these kids out here who are making millions of dollars, they don't know what they're doing. They come to me and they're like kids. They they have no idea what what the world is like. He said they they're making big time money, and it's just amazing. He said it drives me up a wall to try to tell them even how to tie their shoes or something. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, uh, you you're 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 doing well. He said, yeah, I'm making more money than I ever thought I would make in my life. He says, I, you know, I just. He said, I just flew over to uh, Japan to make a speech. He says they paid me more than I made as a, you know, my salary with the Dodgers. So, and so it's, uh, you know, it's. Uh, Roger's a great guy, and I'm, I'm happy to be so successful. And uh, he said some nice things in the book. So, we were a good pair. Mm. 
that's and he was the, you, you know, know I'm sorry that I keep voice, bringing it back so. to the, I keep bringing it back around to the Mets, but Roger Craig was the, uh, through the first pitch in Mets history. He did? I believe, I believe that's the case, yeah. I think he was yeah. the yeah, well, he was there on. I think he was on the mound the, the day that the uh, the '62 Mets launched. Uh-huh. Well, good for him. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, looking at a picture right we were... now, Sam. I'm looking at a picture right now of Roger uh, Craig in his Mets uniform that he kindly signed, and um, there he is with his New York Mets uniform. I think you're right. I don't know exactly, but yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he took the loss. He took. Yeah. He took the loss. I'm pretty sure he was on the mound for the. Uh, the uh, the the first pitch and 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 um, yeah he started that game so Roger Craig uh, and and back in 2012 he ended up throwing out a ceremonial first pitch in honor of of that uh, that first game and uh, unfortunately he gave up the first run in Mets history too because of Stan Musial <laughs> of, yeah. of, of course it was because of course it was because of Stan the man yeah well Roger said he was going he told me he said I'm all right I'm all right. after he you know, he heard about my book and saw some of it. He said, I'm a, I've been thinking about doing my autobiography. And I said, well, you, you know, you got you got Galen right here, who was a great writer, uh, and uh, he'll do it for you. And Galen, you know, told him, he said, well, you know, if you feel like you want somebody, and he said, give me a call. So I don't know whether Roger will ever do that or not. How is That's he now? Uh, how is Roger Craig now? How, how old is he? Yeah, oh, how, how, is how old is he and how is he? How's his health and everything? Well, as far as I know, he's fine. Uh, last time I talked to him, uh, I, uh, you know, I was I was calling somebody to do an interview in San Francisco, and they were out at the ballpark, and uh, they were talking to him, and they said, "You know, Roger is doing a interview down on the field with with somebody. Would you like for us?" to cut in and you talk to him and I said in a flash so I, sure. they cut in and I heard Roger talking and the guy he was talking to said well we've got a special person here for you Roger uh, your ex-roommate Ransom Jackson and he said give me that microphone so <laughs> we talked for you know we talked for four or five minutes that's about all the time they had but I asked him and he said he was doing fine plays a lot of golf uh, you know, he lives in California, and so he's he just he's just uh, doing doing great. You know, he uh, he's yeah. made a lot of money, uh, a lot more than he made back in the old days. But uh, mm-hmm. he deserved it. Yeah, well, he stayed he's with the game way. after his playing days were over. He stayed with the sport of baseball, yeah. didn't he? Uh huh. And waited for the salaries so to catch the, up. Who who was the uh, uh, the pitcher that you? Hated to say that you 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 didn't want to face the most. Well, uh, I wasn't wild about Warren Spawn. You know, he was a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could I could not hit him very well. I I hit Newcomb good. I hit uh, Robin Roberts good. Uh, I had a Lou Burdett was kind of tough. Uh, did you read the story about me and Lou Burdett in the book? I, I don't recall it. Uh, share it with us, Randy. All right. Well, you know, Lou, Lou doctored the ball. And, uh, oh, yes. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And, 
one night in Brooklyn, uh, the ball got past the, the Milwaukee catcher, and the bat boy brought it over, and we looked at it, and it had uh, about uh, about the size of the small fingernail. The the, uh, the dirt was sticking up about an eighth of an inch, in a circular, on the ball, you know, and it had to be some kind of something that made it stick to the ball. And, you know, I've seen two or three times where the umpires have stopped the game and go out and just frisk Burdett, you know, and never find anything. And so I was uh, – and nobody ever found out how he did it. Well, you know, whether he, he was very fidgety, and he was always touched his hat and his belt, and he, he had he had something somewhere. And hmm. so I was went down to Hilton Head one time to play golf, three or four of us, and, and I was sitting there in the bar the night before we went out to play golf, and in, in walks Burdette, uh, you know, down there in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And so we talked, and I said, what are you doing down here? Well, I'm just... Looking for some golf. I said, well, you're playing with us tomorrow. And so he and I played together. And I I knew that sometime while we were playing, I was going to ask Lou the question. And so I didn't want to do it right away. So we teed off on 18, and it was kind of dusk. And we were walking into the sunset, and uh, I turned to Lou. And I said, Lou, that I batted against you. Dozens and dozens of times. It's just you and me on the golf course. I swear to you that I will never tell. Can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, what did you do to doctor the ball up to make it do all these funny things? And he looked at me, and he turned around and walked off into the sunset. (laughs) He didn't say a thing. And I thought to myself, well, hell, that's the way it ought to be. Right. That's perfect. Right. You never know. <laughs> so that's a, that's one of my stories in the book. And, I, and I, you know, I thought, you know, that's that's better than him telling me, well, I had some Vaseline hidden in my in, under my belt or something. But he oh, had something wonderful. because nobody could do make the ball do what he made it do. You know, it would sink out of sight. But I thought that was the ideal time to ask him the questions because there wasn't anybody around except the trees and the muskrats and the, and the birds. And, and, and so it, that was a great time to ask the question, but I didn't get an answer. Right. <laughs> Those 1950s right. Milwaukee Brave teams, uh, Boston and then Milwaukee Brave teams, that those were great teams, weren't they? Those were very good teams, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. They were good. They had a group, they had big good pitching pitching. staff. And, yeah. So uh, they had Hank Aaron and and uh, other great hitters on that team. Well, yeah. So anyway, you're getting back to pitching. Uh, uh, I hate I hate to bat against Bagley. He would, he had uh, 900 different curveballs, and and he would when they call him the barber, uh, and he would throw mm-hmm. one underneath his chin. Uh, he had no problems with that. So uh, you know there was there was there was enough guys out there I hated to, to bat against. That when I go out there and see who was pitching against us that day, I could either breathe easily or not easily. Yeah, yeah and, uh, but you know, one way or the other, you got to take on the challenge. 
That's right. Uh, you know, you got you got to, you got to take your uh, your fastballs and your curveballs, as it, uh, as you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we're we're gonna have to wrap up uh, shortly, but I wanted to send it over to Rick for for his last word before uh, before we uh, wrap it up. Thanks, Sam. Uh, thank you, uh, Ransom. Um, I'll try to express it once more, but um, uh, uh, thank you for doing this, and for everybody that listens, and for all the other fans like me, uh, where baseball is part of our lives. Um, so it's hard to put in words. But when I speak with you, um, and when I speak with Carl Erskine, and uh, all those times with Clem, and uh, the, the few other ball players that I was lucky enough to meet and know through Clem, I really can't express what a wonderful feeling it gives me. Um, I am a kid again, for what it's worth. I'm talking to you. This whole conversation, my eyes are half closed, and I'm, pic- I'm picturing the inside of the ballparks. And, um, again, uh, it's tough to put in words what, what you guys gifted to us. But you really did gift us. Um, you gifted me um, a wonderful childhood, Ransom Jackson, you and your, you and your buddies. And so I want to just thank you for that. What a treat it was. Well, those are very kind words, and I appreciate it. And uh, I don't think I threw any names out there that you hadn't heard of. Well, no, but you sure shed some light on some names I had heard about. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, Ransom, I said it not fully kiddingly before. If I'm heading down that way or if Sam and I are heading down that way and we let give you enough warning, you might hear us call a week or two ahead and say, hey, Ransom, on this particular day or this week, can you pick an hour where we can take you to lunch? And you'd be receptive to that. Well, uh, I, I, I told you that my door is open. I have... I invite people over here all the time. Uh, you. It would be a, it would be an honor for me to uh, have you come by my house uh, and see the few things I have left that uh, would be of interest, and we'd talk as long as mm. y'all want to. Well, hopefully, Thank we you. can work that out. And uh, I yeah, I haven't had too many players on here, so uh, we do appreciate it uh, yeah, wholeheartedly, Mister. Mr. Uh, uh, Randy Jack, Mr. Randy Ransom Jackson. Uh, how am I, uh, Ransom Randy Jackson, or, or is, is it usually in the middle? Or well, since I'm older than you, you call me Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, well put. Oh. I, I, I just keep, see I keep those uh-huh. things in, in my perspective too. Dude. No, just you know, Ransom is fine. Well, Ransom, Ransom, we very much appreciate you heading on here, and you are welcome back anytime. Well, yes, and thank and you, I appreciate Terry. y'all calling. And I, I like and to thank, talk about the old days. Yeah, and thank well, you, well, now Terry, I, for now sharing I gotta read the us. book and come up with all the all the other questions that I that I'll have. You know, so I'll call me yeah, back follow up questions. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go order it right now. Okay. All right. Uh, well, thank uh, you, I've... thank you, everybody. Appreciate you guys being on the show today, and uh, to all you listeners out there, thanks for tuning in, and uh, catch us for the next episode. Have a good one. Thanks, Ransom. Bye-bye. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Ransom. So did I. Bye-bye.